Welcome to Infection Prevention Spotlight with Certified Infection Control Nurse, Kara Mullane. Welcome to the research behind infection prevention, where Dr. Mohamed Yassin provides tough questions to top researchers and leaders in their field. This podcast is a collaboration between Infection Prevention Spotlight and the American Journal of Infection Control. If you're interested to find out more on these topics, please go to the December 2020 edition of AGIC. Today, we have the pleasure to hear from Dr. Elise Martin as she discusses the study published by a multi-centered team from different academic medical centers. The main aim of the study is to assess the risk or the benefit with discontinuation of contact precautions for VRE and MRSA. We will also be sharing the summary of a major article on nurse-driven antibiotic engagement tool in three hospitals by Dr. Elizabeth Monsies et al. So please, stay tuned. The first article we'll be discussing is from the December American Journal of Infection Control, titled Stopping the Routine Use of Contact Precautions for Management of MRSA and VRE at Three Academic Medical Centers, an Interrupted Time Series Analysis by Dr. Sarah Hassler et al. I'm pleased to share the summary from Dr. Mohamed Yassin. This particular study is published by a multi-center team from different academic medical centers. The main aim of the study is to assess the risk or the benefit with discontinuation of contact precautions for vancomycin-resistant enterococcus, VRE, and methicillin-resistant staph aureus, MRSA. This is a retrospective time-interrupted series performed in three academic hospitals. The first one has 101 ICU beds, the second had 154 ICU beds, and the third had 146 ICU beds. For all three hospitals, more than 50% of the beds are private. The primary outcome was to evaluate rates of hospital-associated infections as per the National Health Safety Network definitions, particularly related to central line-associated bloodstream infection, CLABC, catheter-associated urinary tract infection, or CAUTI, mediastinal surgical site infections, or SSI, and ventilator-associated pneumonia, VAP. These academic medical centers discontinued isolation for these two indications, VRE and MRSA. However, they continued isolation for other resistant gram-negative and C. diff. These centers continue to utilize horizontal prevention measures, including hand hygiene promotion, chlorhexidine bathing, enhancing environmental disinfection, and continued education and surveillance for infection prevention. This was in addition to applying preventative bundles for all these specific HAIs. The first hospital stopped contact precautions in 2004, the second stopped in 2014, and the third stopped in 2013. The data was collected until 2014, 2017, and 2017, retrospectively. The results of the study are important, as none of these three hospitals showed any increase of any of the hospital-associated infections reported. In fact, all of them showed further reduction after discontinuation of contact precautions. This applies to CLABSI, CAUTI, and SSI. The same observation was also reported for infection caused by either MRSA or VRE. Overall, there was no statistically significant increase in CLABSI, CAUTI, mediastinal SSI, or VAP with MRSA, VRE, 
or with all organisms at any of the three hospitals in the study after discontinuation of contact precautions. Dr. Mohamed Yassin's comments. The overall downtrend of hospital-associated infections is likely related to the improvement of infection prevention efforts. This study cannot separate a single intervention, but rather the impact of combining interventions. The authors also had an interesting conclusion that this study cannot comment on colonization and transmission, with no increased hospital-associated infection. In fact, they favor that there is a negative impact of applying contact precautions for these endemic pathogens. This study did not measure the negative impact of contact precautions. This could have been an additional potential benefit for discontinuation of contact precautions. So now we're going to hear from co-author Dr. Elise Martin. Thank you for your incredible work in addition to the literature on this important topic of discontinuation of contact precautions for MRSA and VRE. We certainly understand that hospitals carry different risks for the MDRO transmission based on the prevalence of that MDRO, the acuity of the care and the size of the hospital, also the percentage of private beds, and many other variables. We have a few questions that we'd like to ask and your thoughts about contact precautions in a non-outbreak setting. It makes sense to understand that reduction of hospital-associated infections may not be directly correlated with contact precautions. Do you believe that contact precautions could reduce the transmission or colonization of MRSA or VRE, meaning colonization without causing hospital-associated infection? This is a great question, and I'm not sure we have all the information at this time to be able to say specifically whether or not removing contact precautions for MRSA and VRE will have any impact on transmission or colonization uh, with these organisms, as we did not find any increase in healthcare-associated infections with MRSA and VRE after we removed precautions. Now, we do know quite a bit about transmission with these organisms, and there is data out there to say when you care for patients, depending on what you're doing, you can become contaminated with these organisms. And there was some work out of the University of Maryland that I think is really fantastic that does show that your gown and even more importantly, your gloves can be contaminated when you care for patients. Now, what we don't know is if we remove precautions, can we do all the other horizontal infection prevention strategies really well and help decrease any additional um, spread and colonization with these organisms? So if you're effectively washing your hands after um, every encounter, if you're cleaning your reusable medical equipment, if you're cleaning the environment, and probably most important, if you're correctly applying standard precautions when you're going to be coming in contact with blood or body fluids, can you help limit any additional transmission within your facility? Now, what I think is really helpful about our study specifically and the fact that we have data over multiple years at uh, each of these institutions, we didn't find an increased burden of these organisms over time. We didn't find an increase to say that we are having quite a bit more transmission of these organisms after removing precautions. So I do think that uh, based on the data we have so far, it looks really encouraging that transmission and colonization is probably not being impacted. But I definitely do think this is an area we need more data, and I'm hoping we can continue to have more information to say that there's no impact in this area as well. Would you give us some examples of when contact precautions would be of benefit in a non-outbreak setting? So there are moments where it's maybe reasonable to continue to use contact precautions outside of outbreak settings. And I think the best example would be um, settings where you think there's going to be potential for high risk of transmission within your institution, particularly if you have very high endemic burden of these organisms to begin with. Uh, All the data we have um, from our study, as well as from um, other studies that have also looked at removing contact precautions for MRSA and VRE, have done this in settings where 
They have good infection control practices to begin with. They have good compliance with hand hygiene. And where most importantly, the rates of these organisms are relatively low in those institutions and they're not having high rates of transmission to begin with. So I think in general, I would not consider changing contact precautions policies when rates are high to begin with. And I would really work on tackling those issues first and preventing transmission before potentially removing contact precautions. Additionally, if you have times um, where you have high risk of contamination, so uncontrolled body fluids, you want to make sure that um, you're not going to have uncontrolled drainage potentially contaminating healthcare workers. And so ensuring that appropriate gown and glove use is used otherwise. What would you consider as an indication for applying contact precautions, if any, for MRSA or VRE? As I mentioned in the last question, if you have a very high rate to begin with in your hospital of MRSA and VRE or high rates of transmission or healthcare-associated infections with these organisms, I would certainly tackle that before potentially changing a contact precautions policy. But otherwise, I don't think there's any one specific indication for applying contact precautions. I don't think we necessarily need to do this for infection or for colonization or history of infection or colonization, uh, as the hospitals included in this study, um, as well as other studies, have done so very successfully for all of these indications and have not necessarily need to keep um, contact precautions for any one of these individual indications. Additionally, in this study, as well as in a couple other studies, um, contact precautions have been successfully removed even in um, more vulnerable populations like transplant populations, uh, oncology populations. And so I don't think that there's any one specific group we have to keep contact precautions on for. It's really about how is your hospital doing as a whole, um, as well as how are you doing on these individual units. And um, of course, tackling any issue related to high rates of infections um, or transmission in your institution before potentially removing contact precautions. But otherwise, it's been done successfully in in each one of these indications, um, including in this study. Thank you for that. Now, the spread of different resistant organisms into the community is a concern for many public health authorities. Would you think discontinuation of contact precautions for MRSA and VRE is a risk to the community? So I don't think removing contact precautions for MRSA and VRE will necessarily have negative implications for the community. If you're doing all the appropriate infection control practices, you're um, washing your hands, you're preventing spread, you're actually helping to decrease um, any transmission within your institution of MRSA and VRE, you shouldn't be having um, increased complications within your community. Now, our specific study did not directly address this specific topic, but some work I did back in 2016 published in ITCHI specifically looked at after removing contact precautions, whether that had any impact on the burden of MRSA and VRE within our institution. And when we looked at our clinical isolates, we were not finding that we had an increase in MRSA relative to MSSA or VRE relative to vancomycin susceptible enterococcus after we removed contact precautions. So, if you're doing everything appropriately with your, within your institution and helping to decrease spread, you should not be having a higher burden of these organisms, and you should not be having negative Im- impacts on your community. Great. Thank you. Now, final question. Would you speak about the importance of contact precautions for carbapenem-resistant organisms or C. diff? Although we do have data that you can remove contact precautions safely for MRSA and VRE without any impact on healthcare-associated infections, I do think it's still extremely important that we continue contact precautions for other multidrug-resistant organisms and C. diff. 
we do know a lot about the transmission of these organisms and that it's really important to continue contact precautions to help decrease spread of multi-drug resistant organisms like um, carbapenem resistant organisms, Canada auris, um, C. diff, things that we know can be transmitted between patients and can have really negative implications when they do get transmitted. So I think as you are considering potentially removing contact precautions for MRSA and VRE, it is important to continue it for these other organisms. I'm not aware of any studies at this time that are considering removing contact precautions for these organisms because we do know a lot about spread and um, we certainly don't want to see increased spread of these organisms within our institutions. So thank you to Dr. Elise Martin for allowing us to dive deeper into the research. And thank you to her colleagues, Dr. Sarah Hessler and the rest of the researchers for looking at this great work around discontinuation of contact precautions for VRE and MRSA. Thank you all. The second summary from Dr. Mohammed Yassin is on the major article from the December 2020 American Journal of Infection Control. The title is Implementation of a Nurse-Driven Antibiotic Engagement Tool in Three Hospitals by Elizabeth Monsies et al. This paper is a reflection of the importance of antibiotic stewardship in the field of infection prevention. The research is performed at Kansas City, Missouri by a multidisciplinary team of nursing, PharmDs, hospitalists, and infectious disease physicians. This is a feasibility study testing the implementation of a nurse-driven antibiotic engagement tool. A feasibility study is defined as testing the practicality of a method. It is a reasonable step prior to conducting a large intervention, or RCT. A primary purpose of feasibility in pilot studies is to assess the potential for successful implementation of the proposed main intervention studies and to reduce threats to the validity of the studies. The primary aim of the study was to implement a nurse-driven antibiotic engagement tool, or AET. The tool addresses for critical activities in antibiotic stewardship. The first is clarifying antimicrobial indication. The second is clarifying duration. The third is discontinuation. And the fourth is conversion from IV to PO. The study is done in three hospitals that have antibiotic stewardship programs and electronic medical records. These hospitals represent different types of hospitals within the U.S., including small and large community hospitals, as well as academic and pediatric hospitals. 79 AETs were completed and voluntarily returned, and a total of 197 pre-study survey and 209 post-study surveys were analyzed. In the post-study, 26 of the nurses reported using the AET. This feasibility study has multiple important results. The first is it gives a green light for engaging nurses for future antibiotic stewardship activities. The nurses are a major part of the healthcare workforce and very important in implementation of any stewardship activities. The second, this particular study addressed a major clinical practical problem, which is the transfer of patients between different services. The third is the importance of the multidisciplinary team and implementation and continuity of any successful intervention. Antimicrobial stewardship teams do not involve nurses routinely, and this could be a major change in the game for successful implementation of stewardship. 
Finally, this paper speaks highly of the successful mission of APIC in promoting implementation of research as the study was supported by an APIC grant. Thank you to the researchers and their great collaboration of work to keep patients safe. And thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to find out more, please go to the December 2020 edition of AGIC to read the full articles. From the American Journal of Infection Control and Infection Prevention Spotlight, thank you for all you do to prevent infections. Take care, and please remember, wash your hands.